You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4. We've been talking about understanding and entering God's rest in His kingdom. And one of the aspects that we'll be dealing with as a subtitle is the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What's the understanding of Sabbath? Many, many people ask the question, do Christians uh, keep the Sabbath? How do we do the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? How do we keep it? And there's a lot of different questions around that. It's important that we understand it from God's perspective. Because we see here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest. Everybody say, His rest. rest. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. Now, when we say rest, we've already had a look at that. We know that there's different ways you can interpret that word. Rest would be if someone's tired, then they would rest. If something's in motion and it comes to a stop, we call that coming to a rest. And so obviously none of those really apply to God because God's always in motion. Even when you see before creation, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was hovering. There's a movement happening, moving upon the faces of the water. But uh, we also know that God is all power and therefore never gets tired. The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumber. Why? He's all power. Everything about God. Uh, everything sustained by the word of his power. So when we say rest, what are we talking about? And that's the key. Uh, we need to discover from God's word what he's talking about. Verse 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Who them? That's the children of Israel walking through the wilderness after having been delivered from Egypt, heading for their promised land. And they heard the word, but it didn't profit them. Why? It was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Which rest? The same rest as God. See in verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. Everybody say seventh day. In this way that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Family, God's greatest pleasure is to be believed. His greatest pleasure is to be believed. Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is possible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him so god moves on the basis of believing him believing trusting him and then us acting on that as we believe now notice it says that we must be diligent to enter that rest another translation says labor to enter that rest now that almost sounds contradictory work hard (laughs) while you're resting and, but that's because if we don't understand the concept, this labor talks about make that your pursuit. Make sure that you've done everything that is necessary so that you may enter a rest, not to relax because you're tired. Now, there is a place to physically rest. We do need that. We understand that. All of us as humans in flesh bodies need to take that rest. But we're talking about something deeper here. We're talking about a spiritual principle, a spiritual matter. 
And so we've been having a look at various aspects of people that walked in that rest. And they trusted God totally. We looked at the faith of Abraham. We tracked it through him and then through Isaac, the seed of Isaac. And then his son, Jacob. We saw the concept of the vow and how he trusted God through that. And then we looked at the integrity of Joseph. We talk about the integrity of Joseph. It's how he stood. You could also even say the patience because... I mean, if anybody had any reason to be offended, it would have been him. Uh, you know, rejected and falsely accused and uh, hated. And yet every single way he had a promise from God. Even when others doubted it, he knew God was true to his word. The Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph every step of the way. He trusted the process. He let it play out. He didn't mind. Even in prison, he knew where he was going. So even every situation he was in. He made the best of that situation. The Bible says he prospered in, in prison. But God ultimately took him to the right place. And from there, we're going to keep tracking now. Now, in order to understand the concept of the Sabbath, it's important that we have a very good foundation from the perspective of where it comes from in order to see where God's taking it. Which means we have to take a little bit of a Bible study. Now, I'm all for nice, short, quick, woo-woo, swing from the chandelier type meetings. But sometimes we just need to get to the solid meat and lay a good foundation. Because that's going to enable us to understand so that no matter what happens, we can always reflect back to the Word and let the Word do the answering. And so we see as Joseph eventually becomes prime minister of Egypt... And you know the account is where he eventually got his family back. His brothers came and then his father. And he spoke to Pharaoh and arranged that the whole family moved to Egypt through this time of where there's the famine and they need provision. And so Pharaoh welcomed them openly, gave them a whole part of Egypt to live in called Goshen and was welcomed as, as part of the citizens. Of course, that Pharaoh died and, and other rulers came in and eventually, you know, men of evil hearts started to rise up. And what was happening was uh, Israel was multiplying very quickly according to the promise of the covenant. God said, I'm going to make you a multitude. So they're starting to rise as a nation. And of course, that intimidated Pharaohs because, you know, these, if they get it bigger than us and larger than us, they could take over <laughs> Egypt. So instead, he oppressed them, and he brought them into bondage, and he used their labor and put them under heavy bondage and kept them under that way. In fact, the, the latter uh, of the pharaohs made sure that every male son that was born to the Israelites was killed to try and keep the numbers down so he could control them. And you know the account how... Uh, God moved on Moses' mother to put him into a basket and down the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him in as her own and raised him as a prince within Egypt. But you see, God had a plan and a purpose. He wanted to get his people out there. And Mo Moses had been ordained as a deliverer. And there's a whole other message there. I don't have time for it today. But how he was knew there was a call in his life, but he jumped the gun and basically, uh, you know, went out too soon and landed up killing a man as a result of that. And because of fear and worry of accusation, he had to flee and leave Egypt and landed up on the back end of the desert. But God had a plan. 
And he wanted to deliver Egypt. And so God appears to him. And Moses was walking through the wilderness one day. And all of a sudden, he sees a burning bush. Now, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. Everybody say covenant. With Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Family, there's something tremendously powerful about a covenant. It's not just a promise. Covenant means God commits his life to this. And he told Abraham, he told Isaac, and he told Jacob the same covenant. And now the children of Israel are calling on that, and God answers. And he appears to Moses from the midst of a burning bush. And he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, And God said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Amen. Family of God. God sees it. Oh, yes. When you are abused. Oh, yes. God sees it when people misuse you. Oh, yes. God sees it when you are oppressed. Yep. God does not allow anything to fall. But you notice he didn't do anything. Until they cried out. Yes. Yes. Know this. God knows what you're going oh, through. Yes. And it's easy to say, God, can't you see? Yes, he does. But trust the covenant. Everybody say, trust the covenant. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That sounds like a strange name. What's your name? I am. What? That I am. I am that I am. What does that mean? Something about God is God doesn't just tell you he's God. He always reveals his nature. Through his name. Amen. You remember when Abraham was asked by God to offer Isaac. And they were going up to the mountain. Isaac said, where's the lamb if we're going to offer? 
And, Mo, and Abram said, God will provide them. And when the servants that were with them said, uh, you know, as he was leaving, he says, you wait here. Me and my son are going up to worship God and we shall return. We shall return. Now he's told to sacrifice his son. What does he mean we shall return? Well, Abram just made it up in his mind. He said, God will make me a father of many nations. And this is my only son. It has to come through him. So if I have to sacrifice him, I'll do it. And God will raise him back to life. I mean, he had no precedent for that. But the word says in a vision, he saw Isaac raised from the dead. And so he said, God will provide. And he got up to the top of the mountain and he was ready to plunge the knife through his heart. As you know, the angel stopped him. And he had a word from God. He looked up and he saw there was a ram caught in the thicket. And God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. What's he talking about? I am the providing God. He revealed his nature. Right At that moment, he had to be provider. And he was. When he said that he delivered uh, Israel, he said that he... Healed them all because he is Jehovah Rapha. I am the healing God. So the moment they needed healing, he revealed himself. As you go through all of his names, he says he's Jehovah Shammah. He's the God that's right there. Jehovah Nissi is your victory. Jehovah Tzitkenu, he is your righteousness. Whatever you need to know about God, it's reflected in His name. He has all His names. So when you talk about the names of God, you talk about who He is. God is love. Love isn't something God does. It's not something, an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's His very nature, which means it will reflect in the symptoms, (laughs) the, the, the manifestations of Him loving you and being loved towards you. So wherever He is, is love. We wouldn't love if it wasn't for Him in us to love through. And so He is, that's His very nature. The same way water has a nature to it that you cannot have water on you and not be wet. Because its very nature is built into it. Water wets. That's what it does. And so God is love. So He loves. He is the healer, the provider, the protector. In other words, whatever you need at any situation... God says, I am. What? What do you need? What is it that you need right now? You think of it. Any want, need, desire, whatever requirement. You need healing. I am that. Uh, I need protection. I am that. I need deliverance. I am that. I am that I am. That's his very, in other words, whatever it is, that's who God is. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That seems to be an important point to God. He keeps saying it. He is the God of generations. And he's saying you can rely on me because I am a God of generation. How do you know you are the seed of Abraham? And so the same God is speaking to you. And he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. God is I am. Not I was or I will be. 
I am. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness. Why? That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God is delivering us to worship. Notice it's not just to get you out of bondage. It's not just to get you to the promised land. Family, when God saved you, it wasn't just to get you out of hell. He didn't save us just to get to heaven. He saved us so that we can worship the living God. He says further, He's delivered us so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 19, I'm sure that the God says, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in its midst. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Everybody say favor. Who gives them favor? God. Doesn't matter what they do. you You cannot posture yourself for favor. You know, sometimes we try and figure out how we can get in front of someone and do the right things and look right and say right and dress right and we're going to find favor somehow. No, God gives favor. I said God gives favor. And it shall be when you go out that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, I want you to pick up on something here, because when we talk about plunder, he's not talking about stealing it. See, sometimes when some people, you know, maybe the the boss lays them off and they get fired or whatever, then when they go, they take the stapler and everything, because, you know, that's owed to me. No, that's, that's stealing. Are you with me? No, you have God on your side. And God has looked at them, and they have been in bondage for 430 years. Since the time of Joseph to this time is 430 years of slavery, bondage, oppression. And God is not mocked. That is back pay due. And he says, I will make sure you get it. You don't have to steal it because it belongs to you. And I'll just take back what belongs to me. He says, no, let me do it. All you need to do. And he said, you go and ask and they will give it. It's like you walk up and say, ooh, that's a nice necklace. Can I have it? And they said, sure. And they just handed everything over to them and didn't know what they were doing. Hallelujah. Family, God sees the oppression you've been through. He's seen what was taken, whether it be from your family line, whether it's from your uncle, your aunt, your granny, or great-granny. It doesn't matter how far back. If they took anything out of your family, it does, was not, should not have been taken. God saw that, and He will make the restitution. You'll set it right. We're going to do it His way with integrity. Say amen. Amen. God gives us promise that he will deliver them. 
And they must trust Him. Look at chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Now, that almost sounds straight. Lord, we all know him as Lord. No, that capital L, capital O, R, D, you notice all the letters are capital. Whenever you see that in a translation, that in the original Hebrew writing are the four letters Yad Hey Vav Hey, the Hebrew letters. Yad Hey Vav Hey. Now, there were no vowels in there. We put vowels in and we translate that as Jehovah. Uh, or here, as you see in this translation, Lord, L O R D. But that Yad Hey Vav Hey is the essence of God. So when he revealed himself as God Almighty, that's the El Shaddai or the El Elyon, the most high God. But when it comes to the very essence, the name, that's the name that in fact the Hebrews could not even pronounce because there was no vowels in it. It's a breathed sound. And that's the name that was given to Jesus. When he says he was given the name above all names, this is the name. So when you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling on yad heh the very essence of who God is. And now God's saying, in order to deliver you, that's who I'm introducing myself as. This, I am the God of covenant. You can trust me and everything that I've promised. And he says in verse 4, I've also established my covenant. Everybody say Covenant. With them and to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Family, you don't have to worry about finding God on a good day. You don't have to be concerned about trying to impress him with how good you've been. No, God is a God of covenant. If you choose to lay down your flesh and lay down all your righteous works, all your attempts to impress Him, and say, God, really, I am nothing. I don't know why I even try in the flesh. I'm trusting you. God remembers His covenant. He made a covenant agreement that He will always, whoever calls on His name, He will save. As you know, we don't have time to have a look at it in detail. Uh, Moses had then gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. uh, Pharaoh refused, and then the plague started happening. So Pharaoh then agreed, and then turned on his word, and then the next plague, and then he agreed, and then said no, and then so it went. But eventually they were delivered, and as you recall, they crossed the Red Sea. Sea opened, they crossed on dry land, sea closed, destroyed the Egyptians, and now they were heading through the wilderness, for the promised land. But the one thing about the wilderness, there's no food, and there's no water there, in the natural. But God said, I will protect you. It wasn't but a few days that they headed in, and remember, they were heading for the promised land that should have just been a few days walk, but they started moaning, and started complaining. That who is God? I mean, he comes and delivers us. So we're out of bondage, but now we're going to go hungry and die in the desert of hunger. Would have been better to at least we eat. Maybe we have to work and it's difficult, but at least we were eating. 
And it's very easy to start looking back and saying, well, at least under the oppressive system, life was better. No, God's taking you to even a better land. He delivers you from oppression because He has a better promise. You notice there's this wilderness experience in between. And maybe we feel like we're going through a wilderness experience. We were delivered out of bondage, out of struggles and battles. But what's happening now? Where's God now? Well, family of God, God has not given up. Amen. He is still God. Oh, yes, and He's still overseeing His covenant. Amen. But it's going to take a people that believe it. Amen. And as they were going, God then says, All right, I will look after you in this wilderness. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And this people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. That I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. God's going to give an instruction and he wants to see if they will obey it. Why? Obedience is God's greatest pleasure. If someone would believe, he will answer with blessing and abundance. So he gives them an instruction. But now notice, I want you to pick up on some wording. He said that they will keep my law. What law is he referring to? Because they haven't got to Mount Sinai yet. There's no law yet, as in the Ten Commandments. There's no Levitical law. In fact, there is nothing written at this point. See, God appeared to Abraham and he didn't say, I'm going to make you a great religion. And here's my doctrines. He said, I'll make you a great nation. And then he starts teaching him principles. And Abraham lives by these principles, and God counts it as faith and righteousness. And those principles are transferred to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. And then, as time went on, through those 430 years, they are speaking by word of mouth of this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's no law written yet. And yet God's referring to principles. Now, this is an important point because when we study this in detail, you're going to hear the word law, and it's very easy to start thinking of it as doctrinal statements written, the old covenant law, for example. God's kingdom works on principles. The same way the physical world is governed by principles. There are laws of physics. For example, the law of gravity. Now, there is a law of gravity. One could put it this way and say, Thou shalt not jump off a 40-story building without a parachute. Uh, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Someone says, Why not? For if thou dost, thou shalt surely splatter. <laughs> so there's consequence to breaking the law. Now, that doesn't mean you're under legalism. Yeah. It's just common sense yeah. to most people. You've got people that do go jump, but there's, oh no, you know, they do what they call base jumping. Bless their hearts. That's that what they get to do for fun. But uh, the point I'm making is those are principles that if you, if you, and we teach our children those laws. You know, we tell them when you get to a road, look right, look left, look right again before you cross. Why? Because you don't want to encounter a fast moving object at high speed. It's like, it's just, you know, it's be better if you don't. Yes. So those are principles that we understand. So God's kingdom works a certain way. And so he's going to give us instruction for that to work. Not for religious ritual purposes. 
Okay, that's the point I'm making. So let's keep going. So he says in verse 5, It shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. What's he talking about? Well, keep going down to verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord, yad your God. And so it was that quail, those are birds, came up at evening and covered the camp. In the morning the dew lay around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is this? And for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let everyone gather it according to each one's need. Everyone gather. Everyone can gather. And he gives an instruction of one omer. Now, omer is more or less two liters. If you had to look at it in weight, it's about two kilograms. So everybody, for every man, every woman, every child, take two kilograms each. For each person, according to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. Now God said, I want you to obey my instructions. I want to see if you can understand instructions. But brachis. Take a handful. Okay. And they take, they're going to take two handfuls now. And then you get others say, well, I only need a little bit. So you can you see, it, it, they're not following to the point. But look at verse 17, 18. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. So even though he took extra, there wasn't extra left. And he who gathered little still had no lack. <laughs> Every man gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Oh, yeah. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. They didn't listen to him. Some of them kept a part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with him. So they gathered it every morning. Every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This is the first introduction of the word Sabbath. I want you to get the context. The context is, Gather for six days. On the sixth day, gather twice as much. But hang on. Every day you take too much, the next day it's got worms in it. Yeah, but tomorrow you're not gathering. Tomorrow is a rest. It's a Sabbath rest. So gather twice today. Verse 20. Three. He said to them, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded, and the next day it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. So Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people, Vrachis, went out on the seventh day together. And they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Everybody say rested. And you know, over the process of time, God leads them and he's working with them. Eventually, they get to the Mount Sinai. And there God invites Moses to come up and has an encounter with him where he reveals to him his law. Everybody say the law. Verse 1, God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. I am the Lord your God. Everybody say, the Lord my God. Come down to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yeah, it is now recorded under the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within, you, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. This is what was being referred to when we read it about in Hebrews. The seventh day. The Lord made the heavens and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Everybody say blessed. Now, what was the purpose of the Sabbath to the children of Israel? Because you understand that there are times when God does something for Israel specifically, but in it is a type and shadow for our learning. So why did God give the Sabbath to the children of Israel? Well, first of all, he was reflecting on the fact that he created six days, and the seventh day he rested. Secondly, he gave it to them as a rest. But what was the ultimate purpose? Well, let the word of God speak on that. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5, verse 15. Remember, everybody say remember. remember. You were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day for the children of Israel was to remember that God delivered them. And he was saying, I will look after you in six days and even on the Sabbath, even if you don't work on that day. You see that? I'm a covenant God. Say this. The Sabbath for the children of Israel was given to them to remember their God delivering them from Egypt. You see that? Right. Now God takes this concept of the Sabbath. Six days work, seventh day rest, but there's enough in the six to take care of the seventh. He expands that as a principle and he demonstrates how this system, this concept will work everywhere else. He goes to Exodus chapter, uh, go to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. You can write this down as a cross-reference because we don't have time to read it today. Exodus 23, verse 10 to 13. You can go read that at home. Now look at verse 1, Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. What will keep the Sabbath? The The land. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath. So the Sabbath is not just the Saturday. Can you see that? So six days you work, the seventh day you rest. Now for the field, six years you work the field. The seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. Now, keep your mark here and have a look at Leviticus chapter 25 Verse 18, it's just a little bit further down. He explains it. So you shall observe my statutes, keep my judgments, perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. The land will yield its fruit. You'll eat your fill. You'll dwell there safely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, And it will bring forth produce enough for three years. You will sow in the eighth year. And eat all produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in. You'll eat of the old harvest. Now for us that, some of us that are mathematically challenged. (laughs) Let me help you with all those numbers. So, six days you work, seventh day you rest. On the sixth day, there's enough to take you through day six and seven. So that Monday, 
the Sunday you can go back to work and getting the, are you with me, the first day. Now God says, seven, six years, you work your field. Sow your seed, get a harvest. Sow your seed, get a harvest. Sow your seed. So every year you need a new harvest because you're eating last year's harvest, but by the time the year's finished, you've eaten, finished, and you're ready to eat of next year's harvest because you've been working the field. But on the seventh year, don't touch the field. You don't sow seed, you don't plow, you, don't, you just leave the field. And in, uh, the word says that uh, whatever comes down there, the poor can come eat from it, you eat from it, there'll be enough in there. And they're saying, but now what do we do for food the next year? Because we haven't sown our seed. Now God says, in the sixth year, there'll be enough crops that will take you, that you got enough to eat right through the seventh year of not working your field. The fact that you haven't worked your field means there's no harvest for the next year, the eighth year. And that eighth year, you'll still eat off the sixth year's harvest. And by the time that in that eighth year, you will have sown your new seed. And it's taken a year to produce, so in the ninth year, that harvest will be ready. But that harvest will be abundant. Now, this is a principle which people have tried, because today we hit our fields over and over and over. Every, I mean, they just, and now you've got to artificially put uh, all kinds of provision into the field. You've got to put chemicals and things to try and get it. That's why our food is no nutrition today. You eat it, there's nothing in it, it's just stuff. But uh, back, what happens when you leave a field like that, all the fruit and whatever's falling off goes back into the soil and it rejuvenates. And God says, if you can trust the system, if you let me work it for you, then that field, you do this right, will produce enough in that year to, to jump you three years in advance. You're getting this. So now he takes this principle. Six days, seventh day rest. Six, six years you work the field. One year's rest. He expands it even further. Go back to Leviticus chapter 25. Look at verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. So we've gone from day to years. Now, seven Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years. And the time of seven Sabbaths of years shall be for you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee. To sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year. Everybody say fifty. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. And that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unintended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. Now, get a hold of this. The year of jubilee. What happened was, in the 49 years, if families hit hard times, they would sell off something. Remember, they were all allocated a portion that was land for them to have forever as a family. But if they were in trouble, they would sell some of it to make some money. 
If they got into even more trouble, they would sell some of their children into slavery to make money. And God is saying he will never allow his people to be in bondage again. That means every 50 years, after 7 times 7, we will blow a jubilee. All property goes back to the original owner. Doesn't matter if they owed you money or not, it goes back. Any children that were sold off, sold, sold off it come on. You get your slaves go. No one's going to be in slavery again. Listen to this. Seven years. Remember, six years you work it, seven years you leave it. There's enough produce to take you through into the eighth year, and then by the ninth year you'll eat. Right? So seven, what's at the end of the six years? Seven. Another seven, end of the six years, what's there? The seventh year. And you end off the seven years, right? You're coming to the end of the seventh year of the seventh set of years. Year 49. Now you have a year not to work the field. That's in the 49. Isn't that right? Now 50 is another year. It's two years you're not going to work the field. And God says not only will the produce be enough to take you through this year, the Sabbath year, and the next year, you're going to have enough to take you through this year, the Sabbath year of that seven, plus the next year, and the 50. Jubilee. Everybody say jubilee. Now you may not be aware of this, but I want to prime you so when we read it, this is called the acceptable year. That's another term for it. You ready? Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, you don't have to wait 50 years. I am your jubilee. Get a hold of that. I mean, the children of Israel, if in their lifetime, may have experienced one jubilee, maybe two jubilees, depending on where you were born. You had to wait 50 years before you could be set free. And Jesus shows up and says, I have fulfilled everything you need that whenever you need jubilee, you call me. Hallelujah. Jesus has set it up. Six days work for seven day rest. Seven, six years of work for one year's rest in the field. Seven years times seven to eventually get back any debts paid off or whatever. And Jesus says, no, you can bypass everything. The six days, the seven years, the seven times seven. I am here now. I am your jubilee. Come on, give him praise if you got a hold of that. 
Hallelujah. Did you get something today? Come on, let's stand on our feet. Give Jesus praise. Come on, let's give him glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just lift your hand and say, I'm a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of God's word, I'm also a doer. Faith has come to my heart. And Jesus is my jubilee. He said it. No matter what has happened, no matter how much bondage, whatever I've gone through, whatever's taken from me, whatever was stolen, I rest. I rest. I enter into the Sabbath that Jesus proclaimed. And I receive my jubilee. I am set free. I am delivered. Anything that was stolen is restored. Whether in my lifetime or my entire family's lifetime. I receive it all today. In the name of Jesus. It is mine. And I give Jesus praise for it. Jesus is my jubilee. Come on, give him praise. Amen. Hallelujah.